Bear Essentials podcast gives older bears a place to gather for real talk regarding topics and issues that they can relate to. Here at The Bear Essentials, we aren't just having conversations. We are looking to provide actionable intelligence through real-life experience and expertise of our guests. Our mission is to build a strong community that elevates and motivates people to go beyond their limiting beliefs by helping them realize that getting older is not an excuse to hibernate on their goals, but a reason to work harder. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Charles Wallace. I am extremely excited to bring you today's interview. He is a former NFL player. He had a career with the Cincinnati Bengals, the Kansas City Chiefs, and the Los Angeles Raiders. He's also an actor, and he's been in films with Burt Reynolds. And I'm sure you'll remember this. He was Swede from Heartbreak Ridge with Clint Eastwood. So please, without further ado, let's jump right into my interview with Pete Koch. Hey, Pete, how you doing? Thanks for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Hey, Charles, uh, my pleasure to speak with you. I look forward to our conversation. Yeah, Pete, me also. Um, would you mind introducing yourself to the audience? Yeah, Pete Koch. I uh, I am a, an actor, a fitness uh, professional, retired uh, NFL defensive end, and uh, grew up in uh, Long Island, New York, went to the University of Maryland, captain of the uh, of a, a conference championship football team there, first round NFL draft pick, six seasons in the NFL. And and, uh, and then I kind of segued into acting. And my, my uh, the through line, I would say, of my of everything I've done in my life has been uh, attention to physical fitness and strength development. And I um Shortly after I my playing days were over and I was acting and doing some stuff, but hey, I mean, um, I didn't want to be, I wasn't working all the time as an actor, you know, and to be, I didn't want to be the proverbial, you know, waiter or work in a bar or anything like that. So um, it was easy for me to know that I needed some more formal education in terms of uh, getting certification. I'm a guy with a liberal arts degree, but I went to school and got some really strong certifications actually became a, a certified strength and conditioning coach. And I've been uh, trying my best to help people for 35 years in, in the area of, of uh, physical fitness, weight control, eating healthy, and, uh, you know, optimizing, you know, the way that we go through our lives as we age. Yeah, and Pete, some of the stuff I, you know, I'm I'm a bit ashamed or embarrassed to say this. I um, and we'll get into this a little bit as far as your acting career, but I I did I came across you on social media on LinkedIn actually, and it was a post about health, fitness, and I I seen someone who definitely looked familiar as far as age to me, and I'm always interested in trying to, you know see people similar, see their struggles and see what they're doing to overcome it. And then I started, you know, doing some more research on you. And I'm, I'm really glad we're connecting today because you're doing not only your background in the NFL, your acting career, but what you're doing now is extremely a blessing for all of us and people our age, because I think it's really valuable. So Pete, were you growing up? I know you said you were captain conference champion in, in college was, was athletics always a big part of your life growing up? Yeah, it was. Um, I'm the youngest of four boys, and 
my dad was the proverbial, you know, I'm going to, in the spring, he'd sign me up for, for little league in the winter. It was sign me up for basketball. And then in the fall, it was sign me up for youth football. So by the time I was seven, I was a three sport guy and there was no turning back. And that, that was, that was, um, a big part of my life because it was where my, my closest friends were. It's where I learned about camaraderie and working together as a team. I think, I think athletics are extremely important and they, they should be um, in, included in the lives of all young people. And, but I also see the world um, a, a bit divided between individual sports and team sports. I'm biased towards the team sports and, and I've got great friends that were, um, you know, almost singularly focused on uh, like a tennis or uh, I got a friend that was uh, an, an All-American wrestler in, in Division One college, you know, and, and his sport all the way through was, was an, you know, an individual sport wrestling. So, um, but they, you come away with a different set of, a, a different tool toolkit really, I think. Uh, and, uh, but working together with people has, um, all of us grown-ups know is uh, mm. pretty darn important. Right. And uh, the things I learned, the lessons that I learned, I was very fortunate to go to a uh, a powerhouse at that time, not any longer, but uh, high school in uh, New Hyde Park, Long Island, New York. And uh, we had a, a championship football team there. And the uh, we sort of had like dual head coaches, co-head coaches and and they, that uh, was Coach uh, John Kahlo and, and Angelo Giuliano, and they had such a profound impact on my life. And 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 that we didn't have anything sort of special about the athletes that um, at my high school, but we won almost every game that we played because we were so unified and we cared so deeply and respected each other, and. Um, for one, you know, I'll give you one silly example, and you don't see much of this in, in in football anymore. But when we got in a huddle, and whether it was on the offensive or the defensive side of the football, um, we were instructed that we were going to hold hands. And, you know, we just formed an oval shape, which is traditionally how it's done. There's less of this now. The more modernized the game has become, there's more less huddling and more um signaling uh, signal calling at the line of scrimmage but but back this was the 70s and uh, so we'd we'd hold hands and uh, it seems so i don't know i don't even know how that sounds to other people but you got you know 17 16 17 18 year olds and they're holding hands and we'd all uh, clap at the same time as we broke the huddle went to the line of scrimmage but we were and then we'd reunify so so i i described football to people um, whether you're a fan of the game or don't know a thing about it, but football is, I heard it, a great definition that I, I don't know who came up with this. I can't claim ownership, but football is, is uh, violence six seconds at a time broken up by 30 second board meetings. And those that's the huddle, mm. right? So you get the whistle blows the when the plays that ends the play, everyone gets up off the ground or whatever gets back together, offensive side, defensive side, and they call, and then we and then we just we decide what we're going to do next in that huddle, you might say, and then we repeat. And then once the ball is snapped and eleven players uh, battling on eleven other players, uh, it, it gets quite violent for about on average six seconds. Mm -hmm. And the lessons that I've learned um, 
uh, have served me well. Yeah. And then, um, so when you're in high school, were you, and I know it was back in the seventies, I think it's a little different now, but were you, were you highly recruited out of high school into college? Uh, I was, um, I was recruited, but not highly. I, I suppose it's relative. Like by the time I got to University of Maryland, which is the, 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 uh, I had plenty of guys that came in with my class. It's about 15 or 18 guys that usually come in per class. And there were some guys on the team that were recruited by 40, 80, you know, 100 Division One schools. I was recruited by six. And I narrowed those six down to four. I took four visits, and uh, and then chose, of course, Maryland. But that, but I was not, I was not highly recruited. But but in, uh, but it was it was a blessing because you know without that opportunity, and I don't know, I don't know how things were gonna, were going to go for me. I didn't have a, much of a plan B. I didn't have very good grades in high school, and so that was going to limit to you know limit the opportunity of, of where I would go, uh, you know, cause you know, they do stretch the rules a little bit at times to, uh, to, to get, to make, uh, to get athletes, you know, into a school. I was a benefactor of that. And, um, I'm very grateful for it because I'm, I'm one of those, those guys that when I was, when I was 18, I was, um, football is what, kept me together you know it gave me a purpose and it kept me on the rails uh because I, I didn't have any um notable uh leadership happening uh, at home so uh yeah uh, for for those of us that or then or now that that don't have a lot of uh, a great leadership happening from mom and dad um sports can be uh, a lifesaver. I know it was for me. So you saying that Pete in high school, do you have, um, you look back and did you have that leadership role model and in, in football that you looked up to that kind of started to push you along the way? Yeah. was, was the, uh, like I said, we had, uh, you kind of a unique situation. It was like, we had like uh, co-head coaches of varsity. And by the way, I played, I went to a combined junior senior high school so I played on the freshman team. I went from youth football to playing on the freshman team and then the JV. Uh, and uh, But I played JV when I was in ninth grade, and then I went and played the varsity in 10th grade is, you know, the one I was, in my case, the one uh, 10th grader on the varsity. And that was a championship team. And so I was, I had, the coaches had said to me, um, I was very tall and I was very thin. And but I was fast, and I loved the game of football. I was passionate about it. And the, um, it, it, you know, for those that have that have played contact football, they're they're as you get older and the kids get bigger and the game gets more violent. Um, some kids just kind of they they disappear. They don't want to go out for the team anymore. They leave the game. Everyone kind of hits their limit. For some kids, it's when they're seven years old and. Others, they get to be, you know, 14. They're like, ah, I don't really like this anymore. And uh, because it takes a special kind of a person to embrace that that contact and collisioning, you know, it was Vince Lombardi, I think, who said uh, football is not a contact sport. Uh, dancing is a contact sport. Football is a collision sport, right? So, uh, but I had all those, I had 
all my 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 coach John Kalo, he says to me, Pete, you got all these things going for you. And this is when I was uh 15. And he said, However, you're weak and you're skinny, weak. And but you can fix that, and that's on you. And we got a weight room and you got to find it. And we will help you lift the weights there and with the other kids, the older kids. And that's that's on you. And I just put my arms around that. I started buying the muscle magazines because there was no magazines or books or websites that you could Google like, well, how to train like a football player. You could find a million websites on how to strengthen your body to be a better football player now, but it, you couldn't find anything back then. So bodybuilding was what I gravitated to. And I got Arnold Schwarzenegger's poster and put it on my my wall. Dave Draper, if you're old enough to remember, he was actually the uh, Mr. Universe and a great predecessor to Arnold Schwarzenegger. So Dave Draper was a was a role model for me. And uh, I just wanted to develop my body and somehow figure out I had a good feeling, you know, and then and, and getting stronger. Actually, uh, when done right, makes you fat, not only more uh, able, capable of uh, inflicting more upper body violence, which is good as a lineman, as a defensive end, but uh, but also makes you faster and more more powerful overall. So I began to dominate the other kids generally in in high school, which positioned me, um, even though I was still pretty thin when I graduated, uh, give you an idea, I'm uh, 6'6", and I guess I, I weighed about 230 pounds in high school. And, you know, I went to college and I, you know, I went to a college that had a great strength and conditioning coach named Frank Costello. I, and I put my arms around that. And I, and then one of the reasons that I was so attracted to go to the university of Maryland is I wanted to develop my body. And I wanted to, I felt like it was the place that I could go to, to, to best realize my potential. I knew that I was nowhere near it. Like I was just skinny, but again, I was still tall, fast, and those things you can't teach. Uh, all right. So I knew going in, so I committed myself to the strength program and just practicing my, my tail off every single day. I did not start until I was a senior in college. And, uh, and, but I was also at the same time voted as a uh, captain of the defense by my peers and I hadn't even started. Uh, so that, that made me feel like all that work that I was doing and preparing myself for the that chance to be the starter, um, that it was being recognized. So okay. that was that was uh, that was good for me. Felt good. And then, Pete, I mean, obviously, you put all that work in, and you say you don't you don't start till senior year. When does it really start to become like, hey, the NFL is is a possibility? Were you even ever thinking about that? You know, you know, for any any you know person that goes and plays uh, athletics at the D one level has watches the their older teammates, you know, go to the next level. In baseball, it would be probably the minor leagues, and and uh, and so I had seen guys going to the NFL, and I kept on calibrating and thinking like what would you know what would that take i but it was very simple it wasn't a complex it was keep doing the work keep doing the work on and you got 
really two things to worry about when you're a division one athlete. Number one is once the academic side, because if you don't keep yourself, you know, in class and studying and, and doing, uh, acceptably well, then, um, the rest of it's going to go away, you know, and uh, it's a shame because we it's a shame to see somebody with athletic potential have it undermined by the fact that they just they weren't disciplined enough on the on the academic side or socially, you know, to get mm-hmm. drummed out of school. And that's 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 really disappointing. And that's that's the kind of stuff that every Division One athlete saw and I saw and I said, I, I, that won't be me. And then let me take care of business on, you know, practicing and getting better. And that includes the, the it's much different now, but the off-season training back when I played in the early 80s uh, was very, very intense uh, off-season. Uh, that's where you really built up your body with your strength training. And we they'd bring us out on the track and we'd run 200 meter, 400 meter, incredibly uh, difficult um conditioning workouts and that's where so they would say you know during the season you're going to be a football player but the, we're going to spend uh the whole off season making you a better athlete right and mm-hmm. and uh you know without the pads on and, and uh that's that's the way it went in college that's pretty much the way it goes now it's and um it's an evolving process and i did i did want to i did want to play in the nfl i didn't want to let myself uh get lost in that dream but i just wanted to at the very least know that by the time i finished college that i had uh, given it my 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 very best yeah that's i mean that's a with a lot of things right pete no no regrets and obviously you didn't leave anything on the table with you know no regrets there so you get drafted what round did you get drafted in um in the first round mm. that was the 16th player picked and i know you played who drafted i know you played the raiders the Chiefs. It was actually drafted by the Cincinnati Bengals. Bengals, okay. Yeah, and I, you know what? I didn't, I didn't last with that team, and it was, uh, it was a very difficult time because you know the truth be told that the the at the position that I played defensive end, the Bengals had two outstanding uh, players that were in their prime, uh, Ross Browner and Eddie Edwards. I love those guys, and uh, and so I was, I was like there to learn from them. And uh, while I got better and began, began, I only started one season in college. I had, I was very raw Mm -hmm. and we were playing, they played a very different type of a defense. So it was like learning a new position. So I went through and, um, and I guess they, I guess the Bengals decided they just didn't, didn't see the future in me. I, it was it was a very strange first year in the NFL. I didn't play much, and then in training camp the second year, they tried to trade me. So, and a I guess they didn't find anybody, <laughs> and they cut me, which was the best thing that ever happened to me. Uh, it it didn't feel like it at the time. That's for sure. It was it was demoralizing. But it was, uh, but I was this thing called a waiver wire in the NFL. So with with it for twenty four hours, other teams there's a sort of a pecking order of things, but they have the opportunity to to claim you. And I was claimed by the Kansas City Chiefs, and so I got on a plane, fly to Kansas City. Somebody picks me up at the, and um, and and, and here's a, here's a story of leadership, by the way. And so when a uh, you know, a runner from the organization of the Chiefs picked me up uh, and 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 says, "Look, you're going to stay at the hotel. Uh, however, the 
defensive line coach, your positional coach, wanted me to and and it would. By the way, most most of the Chiefs, like most teams, the, their practices ended the, the, by the time you got through your last meeting, took a shower, went home. It was usually about five or six at night because you start pretty early at about seven thirty. And so by now it was much later than 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 six o'clock at night. It was it was about eight thirty at night. But the because I got in late mm-hmm. and uh, and so the the runner takes me. But the defensive line coach name is Walt Corey, and he was a former player for the for the Chiefs who segued in, into coaching. And he says he wants to wants me to bring you by the stadium. So we drive right to Arrowhead Stadium. Or I had never even been. And uh, who's waiting there? And this is before everybody had a cell phone. He's standing there, and it's it's my coach, Walt Corey. And he said, Pete, I know you've been through something. Uh, I don't know what happened, and it's nothing that we need to talk about. That that, But it didn't go your way in Cincinnati. But uh, I just wanted to, to be here and, and shake your hand and welcome you to Kansas City and say uh, – um, if you're willing to work your ass off, and and I think you are, because uh, I, I know who you are, and and I I think I know your potential, then this is the right place for you, and and there's no rush here. We've got our starters in position, but we think you're just going to make us better, and that's why we claimed you. And that was the beginning of what turned out to be really when I got my my NFL career on the rails. So in just Three days later, four days later, we had their season opening game. And by the way, NFL teams use a different uh, language, lingo, d- depending on uh, lingo, depending on the type of an offense or type of a defense that you're running. It's it's really uh, as dissimilar as as uh, if you're in France, they speak French, and you go well, to Germany, they speak German. Well, I had to learn this whole new language. Um, and it was no way I could learn it all in, in, in four days of practicing and reading the books, but I tried as best I could. And they, they, and so we play our opening game. It was a road game against the, uh, the, uh, New Orleans saints. And they said, look, we're just going to play you just a little bit. And so just be over here on the side and be ready to go when maybe somebody out there needs, a needs, a needs a blow, needs a rest. And, uh, I, just about figured out where to line up. And I go out there and uh, I ended up having two sacks mm. in that game. And I, I it was, <laughs> I can't even explain it. I guess it was a combination of, of excitement and I wanted to, had so much I felt I needed to prove. Mm. And I was very, very focused. And, um, and, and I felt like, wow, they, they're giving my, they were giving me an opportunity to to fail or pass um, right out of the gate because the head coach had said, I'm going to guarantee you two weeks on the team. The rest is up to you. Mm-hmm. Oh, so that that yeah, that's a that's an important detail, too. So I knew I had two weeks and that's how it came out of the gate. And after the game, the head coach says, hey, you're one of us. That was great. And Wal Corey, I was thankful for him for putting me in the game and giving me a chance to play. And then and it, it went from there. And those four years I was in Kansas City, uh, ended up having some injuries and, you know, and some surgeries and setbacks. But but all in all, I was uh, um, that was a highlight of my football career. And um, I'm very grateful to it all started with Wal Corey 
you know, waiting an extra couple hours just to just to greet me. And that was uh, a lesson in leadership and love. I'll never forget. Yeah, I'm I'm really glad you told that story because that that's the kind of stuff that really just that helps motivate me and I think other people too. And I think it helps for I know a lot of people that tune in for my show are trying to be leaders, right? And it's it's things like that, hearing that and understanding that. And it's almost like I heard somebody say before, you know, it's easy to kind of manage people, right, Pete? But like a true leader, they're actually changing culture. And Anybody can manage people and they can do a great job while they're there in front of you. But I think what he did there for you, it was like he set you off on a path to be good, regardless of whether he was there or not. That was just something pretty, pretty amazing. So thanks for sharing that. That's that's really cool. Um, So I wanted to ask, as you're in the NFL, I think from what I understand, because it was a little different back then, right? Back when you were playing, like, I don't think the offseason was as strict I, as it is now, right? You guys were able to pretty much live wherever, just stay in shape. But isn't that what afforded you the opportunity to start to bridge into acting somewhat? Yeah, it, it's exactly right. Because when I was in high school and I, I told you that story about how I was, my, my coach said, you got to get stronger, got to get stronger. And so when the summer would come around uh, the the gym, the equipment that we, the strength training equipment that we had at my high school was not very good. Mm-hmm. And it was, it, it, if people are, can remember what an old uh, universal multi-station machine was, they were silver and had red handles. And, and we had a one universal machine and that was about it. A handful of uh, set, you know, maybe three or four sets of dumbbells, and that was it. And I had a, um, I had a friend that set, was interested in bodybuilding. He actually didn't play on a football team, and he said, "Hey, you know, I heard that there's this pretty cool bodybuilding gym. It's not in our town. It's, it's a couple towns over. It's you know, it's about ten miles away in a town called Limbrook." And um, I was going to check it out. And my buddy had a car. I didn't even have a car. Mm. And he goes, you want to go? And I was, yeah. And I was, and, and I, we walked in there and it was like a 70, this is 1978 old school bodybuilding, hardcore converted from an old uh, uh, grocery store. It was a, it was a hardcore bodybuilding gym. And I, we, I, we joined and that became the place that I would I would really go and develop my body for the next couple of years. Whenever I wasn't at the high school, I was I was I was there at Rab's gym, R-A-B, Rab's gym. And I met a, a, a guy named Perry who was about nine years older than me and pretty, pretty buffed. And uh, he was became like a big brother, kind of a friend. He was a friend, but he was older. And, you know, I'm 17. He's probably. 26 and he uh he owned a small business he worked in new york city and we would get talking and he was very supportive of me and 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 one day he says i said what do you do and he goes i own this little small business and i i just five days a week i after you know i i I drive into new york city which is just a half an hour drive but he goes however make no mistake about it i'm an actor I'm an mm. actor. I got a commercial run. I had a commercial running and I did an off, off Broadway play last year and I'm going to make it. 
And it was just like that. It was just like that. And uh, he was a true struggling actor and had been working at it for years. And um, we stayed in, in touch all those four years. I went away to college and then the NFL. And then when I finished my first season in the NFL, she says, what are you going to do? And it's before everybody had a cell phone. So you had to figure out a way to stay in touch <laughs> with each other and 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 uh and, and i go i don't know i don't know i don't know exactly what i want to do i don't want to live in cincinnati and and then it was kansas city and he says listen i'm gonna move like i'm literally getting ready to move to hollywood because i want to trade in new york city i want to go for it i sold he had a little problem with his business he goes i, I got rid of it and this is time to take that step. This is it. This is the big moment. He had a little, he had a couple of friends in, in LA and he moved and he, and he got a, a small apartment in the San Fernando Valley. And he says, come visit me. And I did because I didn't know exactly what to do with myself in the off season. I was single. I knew I could live anywhere. I didn't want to live in Cincinnati at the time. And, and because most of the guys that stayed back there were married and had families and i knew that i could if i had if i had access to a gym and a place to run and 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 perry was what a very strong fit guy and i i said would you work out with me he goes yeah of course i'll work out and um and he says look at this acting that i'm doing and he would and he goes you can do this you can do this and he just just like that like he gave me that that confidence and i said what well, he, uh, he goes look here's a script i'm i'm, I'm going to read a portion of this script for uh, an interview it's called these are the sides i'm gonna read the sides i got this audition tomorrow and he started telling me all about the business helped me get an agent mm. helped me get started took me to an audition introduced me to a casting director for a ford truck commercial and i walk into a room and they're looking for two pro wrestler a pro wrestler type guy they want you to wear a tank top and uh, the the leggings that everybody was wearing mm -hmm. in the 80s and i walk in this room and i see like 250 guys is packed <laughs> Just standing room only in in this and and my and Perry and we're and he, we dress the same way and he go and he walks over to the casting director that he knew and he says compete crash I mean it'd be like crashing but could he participate in this audition and she said why Pete you look she was, she was a lovely woman she was a big commercial casting director and he goes Pete you look great are you in are you in the Screen Actors Guild I said no hmm. I'm just trying to learn the business and she said. I shouldn't do this, but you look fantastic. Yes, yeah, sign in your name right here and put your phone number next to it. I booked it. Mm. <laughs> then, so I, then I was in the Screen Actors Guild. That's how it works. You got to kind of wedge yourself in there by hook or crook. My and my buddy Perry goes, "You son of a gun!" I and I knew you, I knew this could go your way, man. I was off and running. That that's fantastic. Um, so. So now you, were you at one point where you kind of juggling a little bit of acting and the NFL? What when does it become that kind of crossroads where you go, you know what? I need to go this direction now. Well, I knew I was going to play football as long as I could. And it's such a uh you know, it it, it and it's deserve it, it's okay that it works this way, but you know, at any given time you've got about sixteen hundred players in the national football league and even your most avid fans can name about 10 percent of them they can name probably most all of the starting quarterbacks but that's just 32 guys 
And when I was in a the league, there were 28 teams. You know, they've expanded since then. But you, they could name some running backs like my teammate would, when I finished with the Raiders and Marcus Allen, and they knew Howie Long, and they, they knew Joe Montana. But the, when it gets down to like, oh, that defensive tackle or that uh, the guy that plays a left guard or the backup tight end, nobody nobody knows your name. And so you're that was I was I was with that guy. I was the blue collar guy. I was doing pretty good and I was starting in Kansas City eventually. And um, but you know you're just gonna play as long as you can. And and there's that rare guy, like uh, you know, that re- Marcus Allen says, Oh, this is gonna be my last season, or uh, you know, uh, Drew Brees a couple of years ago said, That's it, I'm gonna just my last season, I'm gonna go right into broadcasting. But that's mm-hmm. the tiniest tiniest one percent the rest are just gonna play as long as you can and just when things were rolling along like this for me and i'm starting and things are going good in kansas city i blew my knee out in a game i ended the season for me and then i and earlier in the season i had broken my wrist and i was playing with a cast and I needed surgery on the wrist, but all I was going to, tr- they asked me to see if I could make it through the season with this r- cast on my wrist. So, so now I'm on knee surgery on crutches. It's it. And it all of a sudden you felt it like the wheels were starting to, to come off. And I had a third surgery. I was released by the chiefs and, and, and picked up by the Raiders where I tried to rehabilitate all these, I had these three surgeries and see, and then Al Davis calls me up and he says, I, I, I was a fan of yours when you were playing for, for the Chiefs, but I know you've been through a lot. And here, the way I see you fitting with the Los Angeles at that time Raiders is, can you back up Howie Long? Mm-hmm. I said, I'm your guy. I'm your guy. I understand that roles do change that way. And that got me one more season in the National Football League as my body was just falling apart at the seams. Yeah, that's um. So, so you kind of, as that's happening, Pete, are you in your mind? Are you kind of like you 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 feel that this is it? You feel like the end is is happening, and you, do you start to? Does your mind start to go into the next phase? Yeah, you know, and I and during that time, I I I was working uh, in every off season, again with you know beginning with Perry's encouragement. Um, so I had spent by that time I got to the Raiders three off seasons and I had shot probably a dozen commercials, another 10 um, guest stars on TV shows. And I was in about six or 10 movies, including uh, working with Burt Reynolds in a film called Heat and Clint Eastwood in a film called Heartbreak Ridge. So by the time I got to the Raiders and, you know, got in that locker room in the off season and we started, I was going over there to the facility to do my strength training and the running and the conditioning and I'm meeting guys and, and a bunch of the guys were like, Hey, you're that guy. They didn't know me from the chiefs. They were like, Hey, I saw you in Heartbreak Ridge or I saw you on that episode of Dallas mm. or I saw you in that Taco Bell commercial. I'm like, yeah, I'm doing that too. And they thought it was great. And, and that was, they embraced that. And then I, you know, of course, I would talk to my agents and my people and I'm like, let's see if we can, when football ends for me, you know, I, that was my intent to keep it, to keep it going. 
it's harder than it than it looks to keep it going and and that's why i'm i'm fortunate and i prepared for it but i also knew that um i was the whole time the 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 thread that took me through was was fitness strength training and fitness and nutrition and i knew i had a lot of knowledge and advantages over other you know coaches and trainers because I had worked with, uh, for example, uh, the Raiders had a fantastic strength and conditioning coach named uh, the Mother Dunn, who I, I still stay in touch with. He just recently retired. He actually went from the Raiders to the Giants, won a Super Bowl, and then the Baltimore Ravens and won a Super Bowl. So he's a a, a, a lauded strength and conditioning coach that was, you know, p- all part of the people that were influential in terms of not only my development as a defensive end in the NFL, but but somebody that I could learn things from when it came to the um, the the importance and the ins and outs and some of the even some of the biology of of strength training. Yeah, and that's one thing even talking to you now, Pete, and notice that if like I feel like there's a lot of times where a lot of us there were things are happening for us or to us, right? But sometimes it's it's up to us to pick and choose, right? To listen to it and to actually act on it. And it, it that's where I think you really you've you've done such a great job in transitioning from you know football to acting and then to even what you're doing now. Um before I get into what you're doing now, though, I'd be I I I had two people. I told them I was interviewing you and they, they made me promise I had to ask you, what was it like heartbreak Ridge to work with Clint Eastwood? <laughs> well, I, you know, it, it's interesting because I have a story that I, I think, I think above all speaks to the man that Clint Eastwood is. And I, I couldn't have written it. And I, and I think this might be, I've been interviewed a few times, but this might be the first time I think, I these stories came so close and just as I I spoke a few minutes back about my defensive line coach in Kansas City Walt Corey staying at you know staying at work at Kansas City at the Arrowhead Stadium an extra couple hours just so he could shake my hand when I got there um when I I had been cast um up against all odds, up against hundreds of, of guys. I, I, I went a traditional, very traditional route. I, I auditioned on the Warner Brothers lot in Burbank, California. And uh, and then I had a, a callback and I, I read a few scenes and against hundreds and hundreds of guys. The script read, six, Swede enters six feet seven, 285 pounds. Hey, I'm 6'6", 280 pounds, pretty close. And uh, I had the age was right, but there's a, you can't believe how many guys they were between Hollywood and New York that they auditioned for that role, but I got it. And they said, okay, you're going to start in two weeks and you're going to shoot it at Camp Pendleton down in in San Diego. Uh, It'll say Camp Lejeune in the script, but we're not going to North Carolina. We're going to shoot it here. And they said, we want you to, and uh, they had already been about two, my character Swede doesn't come into the movie until about an hour into the film. And although the movie was not shot sequentially, they had been shooting the movie about uh, two or three weeks by the time I was, uh, came up on, on the call sheet to work. And so at the prescribed date, I was called and I went and I drove down. I said, check into this hotel, uh, the day before. 
and at such and such time, and then you'll be working and shooting this scene the next day. And so I got down at the where they sent me at the right time, and 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 a production assistant met me in the lobby and says, "Hey, Pete, check in your room, put your bags away." But it, it was in the early afternoon, and this was in yes July, and uh, and he goes, but they they asked me to take you over to the set which is, you know, on Camp Pendleton. So I jump in his car and we, off we go and you got to go through the gates and show your ID and all the stuff that it takes to get onto there. And, uh, and he, and he drive, 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 drive like this. And they took me and come over this hill. And then I see a, a crew of, you know, 70, 80, the camera, the lights, the, all the electric, all that stuff going on. I see the actors and they go, come on. And, and they, there was this sort of a hill about uh 40 50 yards away from where they were shooting this scene and they said just hang out here just hang out here and and there i see clint eastwood and of course he directed the movie too and he's doing his thing he's directing he's in and then there's cut you know i meant 15 20 minutes and he and i see clint pivot around i'm the only guy standing over here by myself everyone else is actually working i'm just spectator and he comes i'm like holy cow he's walking over here to see me and he said he said hey pete it's clint we're so glad you could join us we're gonna have a good time on this movie we, we appreciate you being here it's gonna be some good fun wow wow that's fantastic and then work and he goes you can just hang out here if you want you just tell them they'll take you back to the hotel you want to hang out here that's fine you just do it just tell them what you want to do and i'll see you tomorrow and back to work he goes so leadership I mean, it just, just, I mean, you can't understand as a young actor how much anxiety I had at that moment. Um, that was my first film. I had done a couple commercials and TV shows, but that's, this is a whole nother place. And I was worried, oh my God, can I remember my lines? What if I stink and they replace me? You know, everything was going through my mind at that time. Mm. And because it felt like I took, I jumped over everybody to get into a Clint Eastwood movie. But he cast me himself, and uh, and there, and then, and all all that anxiety, in my shoulders, it all came down. Well, I can say this too: um, when I, you know, people, I told them I was interviewing you, and they mentioned. I mean, right away they referenced Heartbreak Ridge and and Swede. And do you find now that are you are you pretty recognizable from that movie for that character? Do you get that a lot? Not so much recognizable, you know, in, in out in the street, although it does happen from time to time. And the last time it happened uh, was last summer in I was visiting a friend in Austin, Texas, and it was a guy who was prior military, which is probably no surprise. And I was sitting at a restaurant on a Saturday afternoon with my friend and he go, and a guy comes up and says, hey, sorry to bother you. Aren't you? Are you the, you sweet? You the sweet sitting here, you know? But um, but on, but in terms of um, on social media, um, the the it's been it's, it's been you know very interesting journey, and I I try to uh, I I really didn't have any connection, so to speak, to the military when I was a twenty three year old actor got cast in Heartbreak Ridge. My father fought in World War II, mm. and uh, if he were alive, he'd be a hundred. I was the youngest of four, and uh, you know he was one of those guys that came back from the war and 
he didn't, you know, I wasn't, he was, I, he was 40 when I was born. And by, by then, you know, he just never would not talk about the war. Mm. I, I couldn't, I, you know, I knew he was in France or something and he was in artillery in the army. I couldn't tell you anything. He didn't tell any of his, any of us, his, his children, you wouldn't talk about it. It's kind of a shame, mm. but that's how he felt. And so I just didn't have any association. Then I worked on Heartbreak Ridge and I got around in, in the, the, I played a recon Marine, but the guys that were around us in our group who didn't have any dialogue us actors that didn't have, but they, they were real recon Marines that were handpicked and chosen to, to be the, the extras. And when the cameras weren't rolling, they doubled as tech technical advisors mm. to us. And it was very, very helpful. And I got, I, I learned so much and I, I, I developed such a respect for the military and then on top of that, over all these years later, social media, which is, you know, dominates everything now. And if you got an old picture of something that you did and somebody relates to it and Heartbreak Ridge is on TV all the time, then um, then people, you know, generally, milit not always, but but the, the people at over the over the last 20 years in particular that have reached out to me and, and commented 99.9% of it positive and how um it you know it it's crazy to me really it's flatteringly uh crazy that people say to me almost daily for all these years that hey in some way i in the character swede influenced them joining the marines or maybe the navy or the army and um or that their their buddy from their 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 big buddy from high school got the nickname Swede because you know he somehow resembled uh me. <laughs> you know? So it's it's been a trip. That's so uh, that's so awesome, man. Thank you for telling that. Um, so I mean, obviously you've done a lot in your life, and I always find it to me, I think it's pretty amazing. Not not even amazing, it's just so like it just shows to me that there's still good people in this world. When I think of somebody like you, Pete, who had the career has had the career you've had, and now you're kind of pivoting a little bit later in life and you're really out there trying to do a lot to help other people. How does that start? And has that always been something that you've always been trying to do or wanted to do? Yeah. I think when I was first in, in, many years ago, you know, involved in, in, uh, in, in fitness, personal training. And people would say, well, I bet you want to train athletes. Right. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know about that. Like, I know what that's about. And, uh, and pretty early on, it was clear to me that there was a lot of folks back then, you know, I really, really started to get into, into, you know, tr working with folks in my early thirties. And I'm like, I could already see a lot of regular folks having um, difficulty maintaining their weight or really exercising properly and with and understanding, you know, its impact on their health and and their energy levels and all kinds of things. And and I got deeper and deeper into the into the topic of of general fitness. So you know, training to be a defensive, the kind of training you do. For example, doing exercises as a defensive end, you're probably gonna your strength coach will have you doing hang 
power cleans and plyometric jumps. And if you don't know what that stuff is, I don't blame you. It's very specialized, you know, high level athletic stuff. And regular folks don't need to be doing it. Regular folks need the basics, the fundamentals, and understand how important strength training is to on so many levels, but 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 for developing your muscles. You know, like when if you ever had your arm in a cast and you took it out eight weeks later and it gets it got thinner and skinnier, you'd say, oh man, my forearm atrophied but it'll come back. It'll get back. Well, the opposite of atrophy is hypertrophy. And that's when we build muscle up. And that's a very, so as we age, we tend to atrophy our skeletal muscles, right? So I, I just explained people, it's so important that you maintain, if you haven't maintained, if you haven't started to start, but then to maintain strength training as a very, very regular, important part of your life. It's in, it's more important really than cardiovascular training where most people tend to emphasize things, but they're at least equally important. And so I, I began to get that message out because I knew I could help people. And I had the advantage of knowing a lot about building muscle hypertrophy. And then I was training people and then uh, helping design programs, which is what I do now. So I can train people virtually and talk to them about how important it is to to build and maintain muscle because particularly once you get past the age of 40 to build any muscle is very very difficult and if you're a woman it's much more difficult and in in women it's particularly important that's why i have so many women clients and they're at a greater risk for diseases such as osteoporosis where their bones are getting weak and you go well how in the world do you stop your bones from getting weak and you getting bent over you know as you age and i'm like well the answer is strength training is putting your muscles right so by the way we're all of us right are um 206 bones, 646 skeletal muscles, all right? We've got about three, we've got about 360 joints, right? So, and then a central nervous system, your brain and spinal cord and the nerves that tell all, tell your muscles what to do. So how does that work, right? So that your brain tells your muscles to, to, to turn on so I can go like this and make a muscle or lift my arm over my head. And that moves what? My skeleton, those 206 bones that I've got. And so you keep the bones healthy by exercising the skeletal muscles. That's your strength training. And that's critically important. Otherwise, you're going to lose not only muscle mass, but bone mass as you age. And that's a disaster. So to keep people healthy, strength training needs to be prioritized. And then you want to, the foundation, you want to back that up with the nutritional foundation uh, of eating the right foods and, and dietary protein in particular. So I've been passionate about this for a long time. And uh, uh, unfortunately, you know, the our, our our society, our population here in the United States, 80%, 80% of the adult population is overweight. Mm. And that's just a disaster and about 40 percent are obese 10 percent morbidly obese which means you're 100 pounds or more off the mark and uh that's no bueno at all and a lot of people are simply baffled by how to you know get out of the the mess they've gotten themselves into heavier and heavier as they've gotten older and they say oh man what am i going to do and, uh, and that's where um, I try to help people, in, including my my messaging on social media, which is making you better 30 seconds at a time, where I, I just try to 
offer little bits of information. It's free and just to help people and hopefully motivate people. I'm 60 and if I can keep it together, you know, I believe you can too. Yeah. And Pete, I mean, those stats that you just went through, it's, it, it's, it's crazy. I know when I, when I kind of went on my own journey, I'm, I'm 50, but I know um, when I started to read more about and educate myself and I start to read about things like sarcopenia and I just, it started to, I won't lie. It scared the hell out of me. And, you know, I just, I don't think enough people take it. And not even that they don't take it serious. It's just, they need that push sometimes and they need to see people like, like you lesser, like somebody like me, but it's it just, I think the message is there. Like this is critical for everyone. And when you hear those stats, it's, it's staggering. It, it really is. And I mean, do you find that people that you work with, do you, do you find they come with you when they get to you finally, or they start talking to you, are they almost in like a, a desperation phase at that point? I think I find a couple of different groups of people. Uh, number one is I get I get super achievers actually, where like I'm thinking of a woman I've been training for virtually, you know, uh, almost two years now. She lives in Chicago. I've never like met her in person, but we 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 get together once a week on Zoom and go over her training. I write I write the training programs, and then we we modify and. And, and, you know, kind of massage the, the training and the food as, as, as we go along. And, uh, because it's, it's a never, it, uh, it's, it's a never ending journey and her body's changing good, bad. Sometimes she feels better. Sometimes the weight goes up, weight goes down. So how, let's keep on tweaking this. She, she's looking, she hired me because she wants a partner mm. in this because it's very difficult to look at yourself and figure out how to do it, especially if you don't have all the formal education that I have. And I always make it clear to people, look, I I got a liberal arts degree, but I'm like Avis. I, I, I try harder Mm -hmm. because I don't have a, a degree in exercise science, but I've got a ton of, you know, that's why when I was in my forties, I went back to night school. I took physiology, anatomy, and I wanted to understand biology, and I wanted to understand how these these systems work on a more on a more uh, deeper level. I, so I can have a conversation with anybody, including a, a doctor, and maybe talking about a, met, some, a patient with a metabolic disease, and, and at least be able to understand that language. And 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 so I, I get folks that are looking like they're already doing pretty good, but they were like, how do I go to the next level? And then. I get people that are like, I um, I feel overwhelmed by the place I've gotten to in my life. And um, I think like, maybe you can, can you guide me through that? And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I feel there's, we all feel, listen, listen, we all, at times we all feel overwhelmed by something in our lives. Me too. Of course, all of us, that's 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 the way human beings work and but when it comes to physical fitness i don't get overwhelmed because it's it's what i've committed my life to and um i'm i'm pretty darn good at writing programs and helping people uniquely personalized to them get from point a to point b what's what's i know what point a is where you're at today you don't feel very good you're overweight blah 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 let's quantify that maybe do a DEXA scan or or a very accurate way to measure your body composition. Bone density would be important as information you can share with your doctor. It's my doctor 
um, of 30 years, internist uh, uh, Rob Heisinga, who was, by the way, the supervising physician on The Biggest Loser for 17 seasons. And before that, he was the Los Angeles Raiders doctor. That's where I met him for for 14 seasons. Um, Harvard MD, All-American wrestler at Michigan before that. So this guy, and he's a workout nut. He's a workout nut. That's that's what. By the way, what I it, when it, how do I find a doctor? I, I say you know what if you, it, it's not easy, and especially if you're in some kind of pro, um, you know, big uh, group. But if you can find your first line doctor, uh, family medicine or internal medicine, if you can find a workout nut, go with them. I don't mm-hmm. care where they went to school, but show me that they got some skin in the game. Um, and so, yeah, that'd be my advice on that. But then, and then, but then get somebody, if you, if you have the wherewithal, but if you're looking for somebody to align yourself with a coach, decide what you want. I, some people just want a female coach. Other people would like somebody who's more oriented on, uh, maybe preparing, preparing for a, a marathon, which really isn't my thing. And I'm, I don't recommend most people think in those terms. I recommend that people prepare themselves by getting stronger. So meaningfully getting stronger. And that's, that's really where, where I, I, I present my focus and expertise, but it's the quality of life. Is you know I say if you're going to spend uh, 40 minutes a day you know strength training or 40 minutes a day on an elliptical trainer and the with the with the objective of of uh, 20 years from now of uh, being able to get off the toilet that's a big thing by the way you know the number two reason that people call an ambulance the number one reason people call nine one say I need to send an ambulance please I need somebody number one reason is shortness of breath. Mm. Pain in my chest. I have a shortness of breath. Number one. Number two is I can't get off the ground. I can't get off the toilet. Same thing. Number two reason. Wow. Well, Pete, I think you're doing a really, really good thing here. And I I think for anyone, whether it's you or or whomever, I think you your point that you make is so valid. I, I know for me, I needed it. Right. I've been working with a coach now for the last three years and Great. it was it helped me with accountability, but it also helped me with, and I'll admit this, and this is where I think guys like you come in and my coach, I don't know the answers. I don't know, like you guys are skilled at creating the workouts and doing it right. Like for me, I don't need that extra burden of having to think that through, right? I want to be almost pointed in the direction and say, do this, do that. I'll do whatever you tell me. And that's the way, that's the way I like it. And I, that's why I, I highly recommend guys like you and, and, and fitness coaches, especially the reputable ones. So, so Pete, I wanted to, for, for anybody to want to get in touch with you to maybe, you know, hire you or check out what you're doing. Is there any, any places you would recommend them to go? Yeah, I'm easy to get a hold of. And I I welcome folks that want to follow me on uh, it's Pete Koch, P E T E K O C H on, and you, choose your platform uh instagram facebook and uh, uh most you know my, my biggest you know sort of a group of, of folks i connect with and interact with is on linkedin but that's i don't know why you know why that is but uh, whatever, whatever your your preference is um you to get a hold of if you have a question just direct message me and if you're interested in in uh training on it but i promise if you if you get if you when you find me and i've got a website too but you don't need to look at that but if you if you find me on social media and you want to take a minute to see some of my uh 30 seconds at a time episodes where i offer some fitness advice just just scroll back and, and just go through there i i i've 
I've posted more than 400 making you better 30 seconds at a time uh, moments where I discuss mostly strength training, but also cardiovascular fitness and, and nutrition. And, uh, you know, it, uh, it was, uh, it was Einstein who said something. And I read this quote some years ago and it caught my attention. He said, uh, you know, we should aspire. It's important that we aspire not for, uh, I, I want to get this straight. Um, not not to make money but to but to to be of service to people and i'm paraphrasing that a little bit the, the actual quote went out of my my mind but you know so here's a here's a very thoughtful guy a guy who spent his whole life just thinking things through very complex ideas thought and he says uh uh, he, uh, here, I got, uh, just came back to me, aspire not to be a man of wealth, but ra rather a man of value. Mm. And um, you, look, it, it's cliche to say you like, we live in a society that's consumed with making money and we need to make money, right? For pretty much most of us need to, or else we're going to have a big problem on our hands and that's important. But, um, but to find a place where you can you can add some value uh to maybe maybe to to other to maybe maybe somebody within your life or outside of your life if you have an opportunity to do that 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 struck a chord with me uh and that was about four or five years ago and that's when i that's when i um i decided that i had so much information good stuff that i could articulate pretty well and demonstrate in about 30 seconds because i think that's about most people's <laughs> attention span and uh so there you go making you better 30 seconds at a time pete i again you're, you're definitely providing service and you're definitely showing a lot of value to others and i think it's just i think it's not just with the whole strengthening and conditioning and all that and your nfl career yeah. acting career i think you're just a great example of being a good human being and that's um, um, I feel better for having had a chance to meet you and spend some time with you. And I think the audience is going to feel the same. So thank you for that, sir. I greatly appreciate it. And definitely been a highlight for me. So thanks again, Pete. Really thank appreciate you, Charles. It. Very kind words. I appreciate you. Thank you. Keep up the good work at your end. And uh, congratulations. First thing I think I, I mentioned to you when we connected was congratulations on losing a tremendous amount of weight. It's an accomplishment and uh, it's not over right for nobody for nobody is it over not right. until the very very end so uh, you're gonna stay at it i'll stay at it and i'll see you at the top oh i love it great way to end this it thanks the take care yeah, thank you bye. bye now never hibernate on your goals